0: The 102nd Psalm, I want to read the little uh, description that's given at the beginning of the psalm because I think it will help us to understand the mindset of the psalmist as he writes these things. It says, A prayer of the afflicted, when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before the Lord. Now there's three things mentioned there. The state of the psalmist is mentioned. He's afflicted. Now what does that word afflicted means? It means to be in a state of persecution or perplexion. To be in a state of confusion and to be in a state of downcastedness, if we could use that terminology. But it goes a little further and it doesn't just describe his outward circumstances, but his inward when it says when he is overwhelmed. Now, we know what that word overwhelm means. Some of us know more than others. But essentially, the idea behind that word is when the waters are rolling over your head, when you're in too deep, when you are overwhelmed. I don't know if you've ever had an experience with drowning. One thing about it, if you have, you don't want to have another one. Amen? There's nothing more unnerving than that feeling when the water rolls over your head and when you realize that you can't breathe, you can't move, you can't... And you know, life gets that way sometimes. Can I be honest with you tonight? Life sometimes feels like it just rolls over top of us and becomes too heavy for us to bear. And it seems almost as though we can't do anything for our circumstances. That's the inward mindset. Then we see the actions of the psalmist when it says, "...and poureth out his complaint." Before the Lord. But something interesting about the Psalms is this. These Psalms were not private things. In fact, a psalm essentially is a song that was written for public worship for the nation of Israel. And so the psalmist, when he writes these things and he gives this little description, what he's essentially wanting to say is this. He's looking out over the vast congregation over the nation of Israel and he's saying, you know, there's some of you that may be overwhelmed tonight. There's some of you that may be in an afflicted circumstance tonight. And if you want to pour out your complaint to the Lord, here's a model of how I've done it and how it can be done. This is a messianic psalm, meaning that it is a psalm that reflects the heart and mind of the Savior. And has a particular prophetic application to the death of our Lord and Savior on Calvary. But tonight I want to take that little phrase. It's in fact just half of that verse and I want us to look at each portion of it tonight. And I want to talk about the idea of a weakened strength. It says, He weakened my strength in the way. I think we'd all be honest enough to admit tonight that's an undesirable thing. There's none of us likes to feel weak. None of us likes to feel incapable. We're unable to affect a situation, unable to do anything, unable to change anything. But the Bible teaches me in this passage that there's times when God will put us in a situation and He will deliberately deplete our strength. That's a perplexing thought. I don't know if you realize, and like I said a few moments ago, this isn't something we can get in a hurry about. Stop and soak that in. There's times the Lord will make you weaker. That's contrary to much of what we're taught today. Much of what we're taught. And if you spend any time watching the TV preachers and they, they wouldn't let me on TV, I'm too ugly to go on TV. Amen. They, I couldn't sell any books or T-shirts or anything. They wouldn't want anything to do with me. Uh, people already think I'm on TV and camouflage selling duck calls anyway. Amen. So they they think I was old Phil Robertson or whoever, or, or Phil Fulmer or Phil Jackson or whoever the guy is. But uh, if you listen to the TV crowd today, they won't preach this message to you. In fact, the message that they will convey to you is that if a man goes to a place, or a woman goes to a place of weakness in their life, it's due to sin in their life. And yet this is talking about the Immaculate Son of God, when it says that God Almighty weakened His strength. I'm reminded of a few passages, and I'm going to readily admit to you tonight that I'm going to try to let the Word of God do the preaching for me. And I just want us to notice a few thoughts here. I want to say, first off, this is a divine weakening that's taking place. This is God Almighty affecting this in their lives. And this is something that is a perplexing thing to us because we don't equate God as doing this. Can I say that we expect God to do everything for our comfort, whether it's for our consecration or not? God is more concerned with us being holy than He is with us being happy. Now, you say, preacher, are you saying God doesn't want me to be happy? No, this is how God is. God wants your holiness to make you happy. I I talked this uh, past Sunday morning in Sunday school about contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What is contentment? What is happiness? What is this? And I would say in a short word that contentment is staying satisfied with Jesus Christ no matter your lot in life. Contentment is not pretending there's no problems. Contentment is not what takes place when there are no problems. Because you can set a man on a stack of $100 bills a mountain high and give him perfect health and still there will be sorrow in his life. That's how this world is. That's how the human heart is. Contentment is not about what you have. It's about who has you. Contentment is about staying satisfied with Christ no matter what your situation. This is something that is contrary to our thought, our frame of mind. But the Bible tells us that there'll be times when God will do this. Can I quote a verse you may have not seen in this passage in light of this truth before he maketh me to lie down in green pastures you don't have to make somebody do something except it's against their will to do it do you I mean if you came up to me and if you said uh, brother toby i 'm going to make you go eat a steak dinner I'd say that's rough but if you're going to make me I wouldn't know you wouldn't have to say it twice i'd be happy to do it but the psalmist said, He maketh me to lie. There's times when we don't want to do this. We don't like for our strength to be weakened. It's a perplexing truth, but can I say it's a proven truth? Look at the life of Job. And I, I'm sorry, I mean, if you came here tonight and expect me to do backflips and kick over the pulpit, it, it just, maybe I'll do it after the service, but that's not the spirit that God has in this place tonight. I don't believe that's the spirit surrounding this passage. Look at the life of Job. I was talking about this to some people and it kind of got my mind along this vein of thought. You know, it was directly from the hand of Satan, the oppression in Job's life. But it was by the direct mandate and divine will of God as well. Job could have never reckoned. In fact, Job spends the next, oh, I don't know, some 30 chapters trying to figure out what God is doing in his life. And the reason is because all that Job has ever known has been plenty and prosperity. He served God and it has paid him well to do so. But now all of a sudden the road is getting rough and it's getting difficult and Job spends 30-something chapters trying to figure out why he's going through this when at the end of the day it can be summed up with a statement he used when he said, When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You look at Job's life and you find that even though Satan was doing the oppressing, God was still in control. God was allowing Job's strength to be weakened. He was allowing Job in a trying situation, in a difficult situation. Now, let me tell you something. Let me tell you where the rubber hits the road with this. We understand that with outward circumstances. But we don't understand that with our inward heart. You say, preacher, what do you mean? If you were to ask anybody, do hard times come to Christians, they'd say yes. If you were to ask anybody, do do difficult situations come to Christians, everybody would say yes, of course they do. Of course we're going to face difficult times. Now, let me ask you this question. If I was to ask you this, is discouragement ever allowed by God? It's not such an easy question to answer. Does God ever allow us to feel powerless? Does God ever put us in a situation where we're keenly aware of our weakness? See, that's not such an easy question to answer. We understand the affliction. It's the overwhelming that's unfamiliar to us. This notion that God would allow us to be in a situation that would, in our carnality, foster doubt and foster discouragement. But this is a proven truth. You can go through the Bible and you see it over and over and over and over again. I'm going to take a few verses and I'm going to show it to you. But I want you to notice something. Turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians and turn down to chapter number 12. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And I want you to hear what the Bible says. This is familiar, very familiar to all of us. But I want us to read what the Lord says about this and Paul's account of it. The Bible says in verse number 7 of Second Corinthians chapter 12. Now, Paul is just... Let me give you a little background. You could read the first six verses. But Paul essentially had been left for dead. Many people believe it was outside of Lystra that this took place. I'm of that persuasion. We don't know that for sure. We assume that. But Paul describes an experience, whether in the body or out of the body, and I tend to believe out of the body. You don't have to believe that, but that's what I believe about it. That Paul was caught up to the third heaven and he saw unspeakable things. I mean, Paul saw things so wondrous that when he came back, you know what he said? He said, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart. You say, I wonder why God doesn't talk as much about heaven as he does about hell. Because if he talked about heaven as much as he does about hell, there wouldn't none of us want to live a day longer. Paul caught a glimpse of it and he says, I don't want to live here anymore. I'm in a strait betwixt two. And he saw unspeakable things. And when he comes back, listen to what it says in verse number seven. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. So here we see the hand of Satan again. But it says there's a purpose lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me and he said unto me. I want you to stop and look at the scope of this thing tonight. He said, who's he? That's God Almighty. I mean, Paul's saying, I walked into the prayer closet and I grabbed hold of the horns of the altar and I heard from heaven and I just knew God was going to take this away from me. I was walking through uh, the Walmart parking lot today and I saw, and this is a good idea, I'm not trying to speak lightly of it, and if you see this car driving around, by all means, pray for the man. But it, but it put an idea in my mind. I saw a car and it had bumper stickers on the back, two or three bumper stickers, and it said, pray for Mike Perez a 100% recovery. 100% recovery, and that's a beautiful idea. I think that's a great thing. I mean, I'm I'm put one on the back of mine. Pray for Toby Weber, uh, new house, Amen. But you know that's a good idea. I'm not trying to speak ill, and and maybe the, that God's going to do that in that man's life. That'd be wonderful. But I I stopped and I thought to myself, what if it's only supposed to be 60% recovery? What are we praying for? What are we seeking? What are we like Elijah of old when he traveled so far searching for God and searching for an answer and walked through the wilderness and walked through the desert and he finally gets to the mountain of God and he wraps his head in his cloak and he sees the fire go by and he has this grand experience. You know what God asked him? He said, what doest thou here, Elijah? He asked Elijah, said, what are you doing here? Why have you come? Did you come to see the fire or did you come to hear my voice? Did you come to see the great wind? Did you come for the earthquake? Or did you come to hear my voice? What are we really doing here? Paul gets in the prayer closet and he gets a hold of the horns of the altar and he finally hears from heaven. God Almighty, the divine voice speaks to his heart. He said unto thee, my grace is sufficient for thee. I want you to notice this. For my strength is made perfect in weakness wasn't what Paul was looking for. It wasn't what he was expecting. And I think sometimes we go through life and we expect everything to go so well all the time. And you know why we do that? Now listen, I don't mean to say this harshly, but we do it because we're carnal-minded. We see things through carnal eyes. And we think what's best for us is our will and our plan and our design and our idea and our desires. The Bible says Paul came to the Lord and said, Lord, I think this is what's best. And the Lord looked at him and said, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. I want to draw a parallel tonight. It's interesting we have here that the Lord said my strength. But we find that the psalmist used this same phrase. He weakened my strength. Can I say there's two types of strength in a Christian's life? The Lord looks at Paul and says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. I wonder why it was the psalmist weakened, had his strength weakened. Why it was the Lord weakened his strength. I understand we're speaking about the Lord prophetically tonight, but I believe there is a practical application to this as well. And can I say that there's a difference tonight between my strength and his strength? There's a difference tonight. Can I say that my strength can be a deceptive strength? Uh, Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 and verse 12. It says, Wherefore, let him that standeth take heed lest he fall. Him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There's a deception. I, I I don't know why it is. I guess because we're prideful creatures. By nature we are. first sin that was ever committed was the sin of pride. And you go through the Word of God and you'll find that pride is the most destructive sin in all of Scripture. And you'll find pride is really the reason people die and go to hell. Because they're too prideful to put their faith in a Savior. They don't want to admit that they need Him. And pride is a wicked thing, but we inherently always are drawn to pride. And, and it just seems like sometimes we think we're Superman. You know that? I think we're all guilty of that at times. We think we can do it, and we laugh sometimes. I know, ladies, y'all get a good laugh at us men sometimes because we think we're strong and we can handle it and we can take care of it all the time and everything. And uh, you know, by the same token, I remember. Can I say something? I'm gonna get him in trouble. I, I am. I remember Dad telling me something one time, and he said, "Let me tell you something, son." He said, "A woman is the most weak, fragile, physically frail human being in the world until they need a washing machine moved and you ain't around." Then they can move half the house without you there. And, uh, you know, women are guilty of it, too. We all expect that our strength will be sufficient. It is normal. Listen carefully to me tonight. It is normal for you to believe that your strength is sufficient. You say, what strength, preacher? I mean, emotional strength in dealing with the trials of life, spiritual strength in withstanding the wiles of the devil. Physical strength in being able to, to, to live and go and do as we desire to do. I mean, any kind of strength that is natural strength, we believe it is unlimited, inexhaustible. Now, there's many people that could tell us younger people very quickly that there'll come a time when your physical strength will deplete but isn't it interesting that of the three elements in the world that the Bible speaks of, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the last one spoken of is the pride of life. And do you know that those show a correlation in the progression of our lives? When a person is young, they give into the lust of the flesh. When they get in middle ages, they give into the lust of the eyes. But as we grow older, the pride of life just doesn't seem to go away. And we believe that we're capable of doing it on our own. It's a deceptive strength. It's easy to believe that, but can I say it is a dethroning strength? What's Satan's design behind this? I'm interested when I read this about Paul's life, that it says that the messenger of Satan was sent. To what? To buffet me. But we find another alternative will taking place, lest I should be exalted above measure. Here we again, we find a duality of wills. We find the will of Satan in this matter, and the will of God in this matter. Satan's desire was to destroy Paul. God's design was to perfect him. But Satan has a purpose and a design and what exactly is that design? I want you to look with me in uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're not far away. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we see a divine weakening and we see a dangerous will. Look look at what it says in chapter 1. Look down at verse number 8 with me. Verse number 8. Paul is writing about the trouble. Well, I'll let him say it. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia? That we were pressed out of measure. You know what that means? That means they had more on them than they could bear. Above strength, they reached the end of their strength. Insomuch that we despaired even of life, they sought for death. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver us in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Now, I want you to look at the flip side of this. Paul says about the time that he spent in Asia, God allowed us to be put in a situation where we found the end of our strength. In other words, if we might picture it as a limited resource, Paul says we ran out of strength when we were in Asia. God allowed us to lose all the strength that we had. We're at the end of our rope. And He said we despaired even of life. We sought for death. We knew if we kept on that way, we were going to die. And what was God's motive? And what was the result? That they should put their faith and their trust in God, which raised at the dead. I want you to flip that thing around and look at it. So if God's desire for us to see the limit of our strength is that we might put our faith in Him and trust in Him, what is Satan's design in encouraging us to have unlimited faith in our own strength? It's that we might pull God off of the throne of our heart, place ourselves upon it. If if coming to the end of our strength brings us to our faith in God, then us not coming to the end, uh, inevitably, I mean, it's it's absolutely an unparalleled truth. It inevitably will cause us to not put our faith in God. That's how dangerous our strength is. Let me tell you something. You have a throne room in your heart. Who sits upon it? Who sits upon it? You say, well, God does. Well, does he make the decisions in your life? Well, no, then he doesn't sit upon the throne of your heart. You've got an idol sitting there, whatever it may be. I don't know what it is, but but there's something sitting there. You say, God sits on the throne of my heart. Well, are you depending upon yourself to lead to guide your life and to do things your way, well, preacher. Sometimes I do. Well, then God's not sitting upon the throne of your heart. And there's an idol, there's a usurper, there's a thief of the throne sitting upon the throne of your heart. You say, who is that? He's the one that's been the thief and usurper and and killer uh, and and murderer from the beginning, the father of lies. Satan is desiring to destroy you, and you know how Satan does it. Satan does it by not allowing us to realize our weakness. The ultimate sin, I mean sin, if you boil it down to its most basic fashion, if you took every sin that's ever been committed and boiled it down, what it truly is, is independence of God. Saying, Lord, I know what you want for my life, but I believe I know better for my life. I'll do things my way. I want to show you a third truth, and then we'll close. We see a divine weakening and a dangerous will, but we see a determined way. He weakened my strength. In the way. There's a lot of connotations to that phrase in the way. Um, the New Testament church was derided and called that in a in a uh, offhand and cruel way. They would talk about those that were in the way. And it even became in many ways just part of their everyday language, just like the, the, the terminology Christian. Uh, they were called Christians first at Antioch, and they were called that in, in a, in a derogatory way. But that now, of course, is the badge by which we, uh, claim to identify ourselves with Christ. Well, this phrase, in the way, was used, uh, during the early church time to describe those that were Saved and trusted in Christ. Now, I understand this a long time before the early church when the psalmist wrote this. But can I say that this weakening of strength comes to those that are saved? It comes to those that are saved. In the way also has other implications. In what way? Well, I believe we could realistically say in his way. In the right way. In the proper way. Turn with me to Second Samuel chapter number 3. I'm going to read one more verse to you. Second Samuel chapter 3 or two more verses to you out of the life of David. David may have written the psalm that we're looking at tonight. He may not have. We don't really know. But look with me in 2 Samuel chapter number 3. Now, to give you a little background, there's a man by the name of Abner. Now, Abner had been loyal to the throne of King Saul. This was a time, uh, in fact, you could see it there at the very first uh, verse of chapter 3. Now, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And so uh, in the midst of this uh, political turmoil and these two thrones that are battling one another, Abner had been loyal to the house of Saul. Well, Abner had taken a concubine to be his that had belonged to Saul. And so Ishbosheth, uh that was uh, the one of uh, Saul's children, came and began to accuse uh, Abner and that angered him. So he left the camp of Saul and he went to David and he came and he made uh, requests of David and he essentially pledged his allegiance to David's throne. And so David makes an alliance with him and allows him to go out uh, in peace and to go out free. Well, there's a man by the name of Joab and he's David's chief general. Abner had killed Joab's brother. Joab, when he comes in and finds out that uh, Abner has been let go, that David essentially had him rife there in his clutches and and let him go out. Joab gets angry and he goes and he finds Abner and he kills him. This grieves David greatly and David mourns over Abner. And listen to what he says in verse number 38. This is in at the wake, so to speak, of of Abner. It says, and the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel. Listen to what he says about himself. And I am this day weak, though anointed king. I am this day weak, though anointed king. David's not talking about an external weakness. He denotes that when he says, though king, though I'm anointed king. David had all the strength and authority of the throne. David could have called for Joab and brought him before him and beheaded him. But you know what? David wasn't going to do that because he loved Joab. David could have rushed out to war and continued to fight against Saul. But David wasn't going to do that because better judgment forbid it. And do you know that sometimes we're fettered and tethered by the love we have for others? David says, I have all the authority of the throne." but I'm weak nonetheless. Let me give you a simple thought. Sometimes even though we're in the appointed place that God has put us in, we find it's a place of weakness. It's what anointed means. They would anoint a king and he would then be the king and it would be his throne. And the anointing was synonymous in many ways with the will of God for a man's life. And David says, I'm in the will of God, but I find it's a place of weakness. Anointing also has the idea of being consecrated and set apart to do a work. David says, I'm doing the will of God. I'm serving God, but I'm still in a place of weakness. In the New Testament, the word unction is used twice in the book of 1 John. Anointing and unction are used. And it's the same idea of of to be smeared or covered with oil. But the Bible teaches us that that unction is a picture of the Holy Ghost. And could I say that David could almost say, and I understand that the Holy Ghost did not indwell men at that time, but let me just put it this way. Sometimes we can say, even though I am indwelt by the Holy Ghost, I'm in the will of God, I'm serving God, I'm doing everything I can. Still, even though I'm in the way, He's weakened my strength. He's put me in a place of weakness. I wonder why he does that. I'm going to tell you why I believe he does that. Turn back with me to the book of Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians I lied to you. I told you I just had one more verse. That's why them dogs don't like to eat them preachers. <laughs> because all that snake oil that they got, amen. Second Corinthians, chapter number 12 again. Verse nine, we'll read it once more. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. The Lord says, Paul, I can't use you until your strength is depleted. Until you're unable, I'm unable Until you are incapable, I am incapable. And I'm reminded what Psalm 72 says about the name of Israel, that they limited the Holy One of Israel. There's only one person that can limit the work of God in your life, and that's you. And essentially what God says to Paul is, Paul, I had to weaken you before I could use you. Listen to what he says. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, wait a minute. When Paul started out with this thing, he was strong. He was strong. But God weakened his strength. Now he's in a place of weakness. But Paul then finds that the place of weakness God has put him in is the place of strength through the help of the Lord. Let me put it very simply tonight. As long as your will is is primary in your life, God's will is secondary. As long as your desires in your life are primary, God's desires are secondary. And what are we really doing? What did Paul mean when he said, I'm crucified with Christ? Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, as I yield myself, which is a sign of weakness, as my will and as my desires are broken down, and as I sense my need of the Savior in a greater way, as God makes me realize that I am incapable, as God makes me realize that I lack the wisdom, as God makes me realize that I lack the strength, I find myself in a place to cry out to Him and to trust Him and to lean on Him and find in Him the strength that I need to live the Christian life. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Say, what do I do tonight, preacher? You may be in this situation, you may not. You may be absolute, you may walk out those double doors into a bed of roses and into a beautiful situation. And hey, there's times in life when it's like that. But if you're here tonight and if this psalm is written for you, afflicted in soul, overwhelmed at the depth of your being and pouring out your complaint to the Lord, you say, preacher, what do I do? You've got to quit depending upon yourself and quit seeing in yourself the strength that you need. You have to surrender your will to the will of almighty God. And then you have to day by day say, Lord, help me to trust you. You can't trust him if you're living in sin. Hear me tonight. If you're living in sin, you can say you're trusting him, but you're not. You can't you can't live in selfishness and trust him tonight. You can't do things your way. You can't live in a lack of faithfulness and trust him tonight. No, the surrendered life is the doorway to trust. And as you surrender yourself to him and put your faith in him, you'll find that though he's weakened your strength in a place of weakness, you find that his strength is made perfect and his will is perfected in your heart and life.